I'll be sharing the first word tonight, and then other elders and staff elders will be sharing the other six words. First words from Jesus on the cross found in Luke chapter 23, 34. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. John MacArthur, uh, in his book, The Freedom and Power of Forgiveness, says, we are never more like God Himself than when we choose to forgive. You ever think about the, the attribute that we need from God the most is the attribute that we deserve the least, His forgiveness. See, man put Jesus on the cross, thus man needs forgiveness, but the problem is, Man put Jesus on the cross who could possibly not deserve it at all. What's interesting, though, is there are other passages of Scripture, Isaiah 53, 6, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that, that also tell us that it wasn't just man that put Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, For our sake God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. That's the amazing thing about Jesus' death. Until you see Jesus' death as something done by you, you'll never be able to appreciate Jesus' death as something done for you. Does that make sense? Until you see that it was you that put him on the cross, you can never appreciate it was for you that he went to the cross. And the amazing thing is, Christ's first word out of his lips on the cross established that his cross work was successful. The barrier between God and man, sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, had been abolished because of him hanging on that cross. Praise be to God. To the side of Jesus, on his right and his left, hung two criminals. Luke tells us that one of them said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation doesn't depend on our own merit. This is an amazing thing. The sacrifice of Jesus' innocent life upon the cross is totally, absolutely, 100% enough. And here's the proof. One of the men being executed right beside Jesus, hanging there on his own cross, a cross that he deserved. From him comes a strained whisper of a request. Jesus, remember me, he manages to get out. This was it. His one and only last hope. He can't make a case that he's in any way deserving of Jesus' mercy. There was nothing in his life's resume worthy of recognition or reward. Nor could he make any promise of living a better life. For all intents and purposes, his life was over. His only chance 
was that Jesus was who he said he was and that he had the means to rescue this wreck of a life. To his amazement, an indescribable relief probably, Jesus replies, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus could see the desperation. He could tell that all of this dying man's trust, all of his reliance was on himself. And that's exactly where it needed to be. The work that Christ was accomplishing at that very moment was the one and only thing that is capable of washing clean the stains of human sin and restoring broken people to their loving Creator. Where's your trust? Where's your reliance? This man's pathetic ruin of a life left him in the perfect position to rely solely on the mercy of Jesus. For you and I, that may not be so easy. We like to think that we're good enough. That we're smart enough. That we're, we're clever enough. Clean enough. Attractive enough. We compare ourselves to others around us and fool ourselves into thinking that God grades on some type of curve. But the reality is that we're all in a state of desperation. Just like this man was. We're all in great need. And like this man, our only hope is in the saving work of Jesus Christ. To those who trust in Him, He gladly says, you'll be with me in paradise. And among those standing below Jesus were John, the disciple whom He loved, and His mother Mary. John 19 tells us, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Jesus' care and provision for those he loves, it knows no bounds. If there was ever a time when a person should have been more concerned about their own needs than the needs of others, this was it. Jesus was in the midst of an excruciating journey towards His own death. I can't even imagine how agonizing that must have been. Yet in the moment of His deepest weakness, and as He was facing this horrific public humiliation, his thoughts turn towards the, those he loves. From the cross, gathering up whatever strength he had left, and, and with a few precious gap, gasps of oxygen, he manages to get out. Please care for my mother. What an astounding moment. The suffering one. The one whose end was so near, he's eager to ensure that his mother is provided for. You might think that that, that might mean for, for people like us that, well, Jesus cared for His mother, but you know it's another thing to care for those who are just His followers. But the reality is that based on the way that Jesus lived, if Jesus showed love for His relatives, how much more is He going to show love for His disciples? 
Here's what I mean. In Luke 8.19, Jesus made it clear that the ones who were closest to Him were not His blood relatives. But they were the ones who listened to and obeyed the Word of God. Luke writes this, Then His mother and His brothers came to Him, but they could not reach Him because of the crowd. And He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But He answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. This wasn't in any way a slam on his family, but it's an elevation of those who hear and obey God's words. They're the ones who have the closest fellowship with him and the most ready access to his care and provision. As we read of Jesus caring and providing for his mother here, from the cross, we should be overwhelmed with encouragement for his desire and ability to care for us. If he was eager and able from the cross to care for the needs of His mother in this weak and pitiful state, how much more can He provide for your needs, for my needs, now? Now that He's risen. Now that He's exalted. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, through Jesus' exclamation, we get a glimpse into the incredible trial that Jesus had entered into on the cross. We get a glimpse at the incredible cost that Jesus paid to atone for our sins. In Psalms 37, David exclaimed that God does not forsake his people, that the righteous will not be forsaken. So then why, in Jesus' greatest moment of need at the cross, did God forsake him? Did God change his character? Did he decide to forget who he was? No. But God is holy. God, Jesus went to the cross to atone for mankind. That meant the spilling of blood to atone for what we had done against God and his character. Peter says in 1 Peter that Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that we might live to righteousness. Jesus bearing our sins meant that God had to be separate from that sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin. As that song said, that was the verdict that we deserved. We are the people, I am the person that deserves to be forsaken by God for my sin. But Jesus in obedience went to the cross and paid that price. Jesus who for eternity past, had experienced perfect fellowship with the Father, experienced the agony of being separated and to pay for our sin. We learn such an amazing truth in this statement that our sin deserves judgment. It is not something to be thrown aside. It's not something that can be looked over. It is serious, and its judgment is death. But at the same time, we learn an incredible thing about God's character. That God has incredible love for us. That Jesus was willing to go to the cross and experience such a horrible thing in order to pay for us, in order to have fellowship with us. Isaiah says that Jesus took on chastisement to bring us peace with God. Shalom. The perfect peace. 
a position where we no longer are under God's judgment because the wrong has been atoned for. Jesus paid a great price to atone for our sin, demonstrating an incredibly great love. Just after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. At this point, Jesus had been through an entire night of trials, mocking, and beatings. He had been hanging on the cross for about three hours, and now he has been forsaken by the Father. After all this is done, we get yet another glimpse into the toil and this, the toll this suffering is taking on his body and his soul. This statement reveals Jesus' humanity. So if you rewind 33 years to a manger in Bethlehem, the angels proclaimed, Born is God with us, Emmanuel. The one that, Pete, that Paul and the writer of Hebrews both exclaim that Jesus is the very imprint of God's nature and the radiance of his glory. Jesus was both fully God the eternally pre-existent one, and he was fully human. In the previous statement, we were reminded that Jesus always existed with fellowship with God, and here we are reminded that the man hanging on the cross is a man. That the toil that he was experiencing had gotten to him and worn out his soul. Think about the one who said, I am the living water, come to me and you will never thirst. He thirsted. His body was worn out. So what does this reveal us as to the purpose of the crucifixion? The writer of Hebrews explains that the blood of bulls and rams that was in the Old Covenant, they were not sufficient to actually atone for sin. But they instead were only a shadow of the things to come, the thing we are talking about tonight. Humanity in the Garden of Eden had sinned against God, and since then the penalty for sin was death. We owed a debt but not one of us could pay that debt. Though it had to be paid by a human, none of us could pay it because we were all under it. We all owed it. I owed it. It is critical that Jesus was human because then he could pay the debt that humans owed. Jesus paid the highest price to atone for our wrongdoing. He was forsaken by God, a great wound to his soul. And he was beaten and crucified, a great harm to his body. What an amazing love is demonstrated in this, that Jesus, the eternally pre-existent one, the Word incarnate, would take on human form and die a death at the cross in order to pay the debt that we owed. Well, tonight I'm going to be sharing from the sixth word. And uh, throughout tonight we've heard of the agony, the, the, the toil in which Jesus had to endure on the cross and now Jesus, in this sixth word, um, you can imagine him whispering hoarsely for a drink. And this, this drink which he gets is sour wine that he receives, and it, it moistens his mouth just enough to cry out these final words. But these words are a statement of victory, a statement of triumph as he cries out, it is finished. And my prayer for us tonight, as we've heard these songs, as we've heard these statements, is not that I'm sure we've heard the, the, of the saving work of Christ again and again, but I don't want our minds to be numb tonight. I don't want them to be numb, but I pray that we come into a greater acknowledgement, a greater gratitude, greater understanding of the mystery that Jesus went to the cross and died for us. So tonight, I want to just point out some implications of this statement, it is finished. So when Jesus said, it is finished. He's declaring 
that he is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies, symbols, as Alan said, foreshadowings of the coming Messiah. We see in Genesis 3, he's the seed who would crush the serpent's head to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, to the prediction of a messenger of the Lord, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Secondly, there is tremendous hope in the statement because Jesus would fulfill the law and all its demands. As Alan said, he is fully man and in his humanity, and he alone was able to perfectly satisfy God's righteous law. He was blameless. He was without sin, without fault, and because of this, he alone was able to be that perfect sacrifice, that perfect lamb, to die on the cross for our sins, and the Father would accept that payment for the penalty of our sin. Thirdly, Christ would finish that work of atonement for our sins that all, all who would ever believe for all time would, and, and believe in him would be reconciled to him, would have a right standing with a holy God. As was said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And ultimately, we deserve that just wrath for our sin, but instead, in love, Christ stands in our place, taking upon himself the complete weight of our sin, bearing all our iniquities, drinking that full cup, which we just sang, the full cup of the Father's wrath. And his blood that was shed for us on the cross took away our sins, right? As far as the east is from the west, he removed that sin, cleansed us of all unrighteousness, that we can be reconciled, we can have a right standing with God. Fourthly, Jesus uh, says in the statement, it is finished, that the enslavement of sin and Satan has been defeated and that he's rendered powerless. It says in Hebrews that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, that no longer the evil one has any legitimate claim upon us in Christ. For once we were lawful captives, dead in our sin, walking according to the prince of the power in the air, but Christ broke those chains and freed us with a love that can never be broken. And finally, we see in this wonderful statement, it is finished. We see that it reveals that the suffering that Christ had to endure is now finished. The sufferings that Jesus endured while on this earth, and especially in these last hours, in his last moments before he, he hands his life over, was now over. So we have the statement, it is finished. And we have to just wrestle with that. Do we believe it? Do we trust it? Or are we trying to add something on our own to finish the work of Christ? to secure our right standing with God, to find favor with God. I mean, let's be honest, we all do that. So tonight, may we trust in God. May we say and believe that we believe that statement, it is finished and it is completely finished. And we may put our trust and, and faith in the one who saves, the, the, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The last expression, Christ says Luke 23:46 and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice he said father into thy hands i commend my spirit and having said thus he gave up his spirit two things that really come out at us from that one verse first as Jesus ends his life he ends it in the way that he had lived his life 
in total dependency and trust in His heavenly Father. Last expression that He says from the cross really sums up His whole earthly life of completely being in the care and superintendence of His heavenly Father. Secondly, Jesus' life was not taken from Him. Jesus gave His life. Do you notice that? And the Gospel writers are very careful to note that fact to the very end. Jesus did not have His life taken from Him. He gave His life. No one could take it from Him. He had to give it. Jesus alluded to this fact early on in His ministry. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, For this reason, the Father loves Me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So in, in life and in death, Christ could completely entrust Himself to the Father, who is the only one worthy of that trust. Even though he faced the horrors of the crucifixion and the wrath of God, he could do so with abiding faith. Because like uh, Hebrews 2.12 says, the, the, the joy set before his eyes, enduring the cross, despising the shame. Well, what was the joy that was set before his eyes? See, the author said, for the joy set before his eyes, he endured the cross, even though he despised it. The joy was the full and final redemption of God's people through the cross. It was through the cross that the joy of the full and final redemption of God's people would be realized. Even though he despised it because his eyes were set on that joy, he endured it. As we wrap up tonight, we are going to share... In a sense, you've heard the gospel, now you're going to see it as we partake of communion, the body and the blood of Christ represented by the elements of the bread and the cup. And we're going to worship the Lord together. Now, as we sing and partake of communion, as we leave tonight, I think there's an appropriate sense of joy even in the midst of Good Friday because that, that ought to be true. But as we leave... Let's leave with a sense of wanting to reflect on what's going on tonight. It's so, it's so easy to break, I think, the heaviness of what we're talking about by just, by just good you know, chit-chat. Let's not do that tonight. So we take a communion as we sing, and as your minds and hearts have been oriented to the things of God, let's leave in a sense of silent, somber worship, reflecting on what this night means. And so as the choir and Adam and the team lead us, uh, if the servers are here, would you come on down now and take your stations? If you're new at Christ Community Church, we do communion a little differently. You are going to come down these aisles and take the bread and the cup from people here who are joyed to serve you, and they're going to bless you, saying this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for your sins. It has a lot of significance for us this evening. You take that bread and cup, go back to your seat, pray, search your heart, enjoy that. If you're with the family, come together and pray. And then we're going to end the evening as Adam dismisses us.
these messages from the seven last words of Christ was a part of our Good Friday service here at Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, please visit us at www.cclh.org.